I call it luck. In my experience, there's no such thing as luck. Canto Byte Dispatch. Today I'm Brittany and joining me today, as always, is my friend Emily Lynn. Hi, Emily. Hi, Brittany. How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I just woke up like an hour ago, so it's going to be a good day. (laughs) There you go. I know I've been waking up so late because of all of this quarantining because it's like I don't have anywhere to be I don't have anything to do so I've just you know been sleeping in and it's it's been nice but I definitely feel like I've lost like some hours of like my morning even though I don't really do much anyway so it's like I'm like guilt tripping myself and oh you're sleeping in but what am I doing all day you know yeah I mean there's nothing to do anyway then might as well sleep yeah how's your week been Eh, you know they're all sort of blending into each other they really are oh i have a new podcast that launched this week um my my friend steve is a really big fan of the fast and the furious movies and i am not and I'd only seen I had seen eight and then I had seen like part of the first one but we are now watching all of them and podcasting about it and that is called The Fan and the Furious The Fan and the Furious that's a good name yeah that was all Steve but I'm quite happy with it yeah and that's up on you know Apple and Spotify and SoundCloud and everywhere but I don't know. I think it's kind of fun. And it's it's something to do. We both needed a project of some sort. So. Well, that's good. I, I hope you enjoy your journey on to the Fast and the Furious. Like, have you found any characters that you like yet? I mean, there's a couple of, of decent characters. Um, there's one called Han who comes in later and he's pretty good. And there's one Tej, who's played by Ludacris, who I quite like, mostly just because Ludacris is a really charming dude. But, I mean, mostly, we we just released the first episode, but we've recorded the first five. And some of them have definitely been a bit of a struggle for me. Yeah. I never got into the Fast and Furious movies, like... I'm I'm not really into cars and I always find it so annoying when like I'm talking with like a group of people and they're like just start like car talk and just it's like I don't get it I've never got like a fascination with cars like the only thing I want in the car is safety like if you want to sit down and talk about how safe your car is please let me know but if you're talking about how cool your car is then uh the cool thing for me is safety. That's cool. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm like you there. But we finally got to the point now for like from hearing it when these movies 
like when the series turns crazy and isn't so much about street racing and is more about them becoming like superheroes basically and stopping terrorists and shit and i'm much more down for that as stupid as it is where did this come from like when did it go from street racing to fighting crime five is sort of the transition movie i guess because five is a is five is kind of a heist movie where they're stealing from this i guess you know like drug kingpin or something and that's when the rock comes in as a DEA agent and it, and he is chasing them at this point but in the next movie it's oh i need you guys to do a job for me so then they become crime fighters wow and eventually you get to the madness of the other one of these movies that i've seen which is the spin-off hobbs and shaw because i am really really into jason statham and also edit Idris Elba in it. But that one is just straight nuts because Idris Elba is like this, like basically a supervillain because he has all these computer modifications to his body that make him super strong and super fast and all this other shit. It's insane. So he's Iron Man? Well, no, because it's not like a suit. It's like in his body. It's like, you know, I mean, utter nonsense, but, you know, computer chips and shit in his brain, I guess. I don't know. It's not particularly well explained. (laughs) Shockingly. So since there's only like 20 movies in the Fast and Furious series, like, is this just going to be a short podcast or are you guys just going to go through the whole movie vault to then... Wait until the next one comes out and resume your podcast. I mean, for now, we're doing these and then we're thinking of doing other Vin Diesel movies because we're Steve and I are both weirdly fascinated by Vin Diesel. What makes Vin Diesel interesting to you guys? I think partially it's the fact that he's so uninteresting. He's not a good <laughs> like he's not a good actor. Although, you know, occasionally he's not the dirt worst or anything like that. But he's not, he's certainly not good, especially anytime he has to portray emotion. He's not super attractive. In fact, like he, like he has scenes when he's making out with people in The Fast and the Furious, and it is actively a turnoff. There's something that, like, I don't think he's a bad looking dude, and I find him, like, I, I mean, I'd probably fuck Vin Diesel just to have the story of fucking Vin Diesel. But actually seeing him, like, make out with somebody in a movie is gross. Is he just, like, a bad kisser? Because I know that sometimes in movies, like, their mouth is, like, open, like, too much or just... I, I There's something about Vin Diesel where he doesn't seem like a person. <laughs> and it's, it's like watching somebody make out with a robot or something. It's It's just bizarre. And his whole persona is so weird. Like all of his all of his interviews and stuff are crazy. He just tells lies all the time. And yet he's and and the the only super successful thing he's in is Fast and the Furious, and those movies are extremely successful, especially their their international box office is enormous. But all these other things that he's tried to do as a franchise don't work and they fail, but he keeps being in movies. Well, I mean, if you do go through the Vin Diesel uh, vault, you will be able to watch all of uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy and Uh, Avengers movies. I think the plan is to do not all the movies Vin Diesel's in, but do Vin Diesel movies. Like, that's those are not Vin, Vin Diesel movies. Saving Private Ryan is not a Vin Diesel movie. Like, you know, Triple X is a Vin Diesel movie. The Last Witch Hunter is a Vin Diesel movie. I forgot Vin Diesel was in uh, Saving Private Ryan. 
There's this. Oh, what movie did you say? Uh, what? No, go go back into the movies that you were saying. I thought you said Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you say? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. good. I was like, because there's okay. this hilarious story that came out recently, where Vin Diesel said that Steven Spielberg told him that it's a crime that Vin hasn't directed more movies because he's such a he's such a brilliant and insightful artist. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's when it's 100. It's just insane bullshit because that's what Vin Diesel does in interviews. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He told him that it was. It, yeah, he told the interviewer that Steven Spielberg told him that it was a crime against cinema. I guess that Vin hasn't directed more movies. What? That's. Yeah. It, 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 does Vin Diesel kind of uh, lie sometimes or kind of just thin out the truth? Or oh, like... oh, yeah. Like he's done this before at conventions and stuff. Um, when, when the last Witch Hunter came out or like when he was doing uh, probably a San Diego Comic-Con appearance for it, he comes out on stage like movies two and three are already guaranteed and we're working on them right now. I mean, that movie came out and bombed, but also nobody else has ever said that there was anything beyond it probably being in his contract that it could possibly be a movie two and three. And there was something else he just, I think it might've been Last Witch Hunter again, where he recently, like during, like as recently as during the quarantine was talking about how, oh, we're already working on the sequel to this movie and that movie. And, and no one has any idea what he's talking about because there's there's no production being done on anything of them, like not even at a writing stage. Oh no! You know, and 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 famously, there's been a lot of of heat between him and Rock in those fast movies, and they, you know, like for a while, like you know, they like refused to work with him, and they, you know, Vin has in his contract that he can't be beaten in a fight scene. He always has to win. Oh, that's awful. Apparently, The Rock and Jason Statham also have this like clause in their contracts, which me and Jason Statham is in a couple of these movies, which means anytime there's a fight scene between like the rock and Vin or anything, it always has to be a draw because neither of them can lose. That's ridiculous. That adds like a completely new layer to these movies. I mean, the, the insane bravado and disgusting masculinity that has you put that in your contract. That's so weird and i've always known about the rock and vin diesel's uh beef with each other but i never really knew who was in the wrong until this conversation now so i mean for all i know the rock is a total dickbag as well it's just i know more stories of vin diesel being just basically like the fucking worst I mean, all of these characters seem like dickbags, except for Ludacris and um, the late Paul Walker. Paul Walker seemed to be fine. How was he in the movies? Oh, he's a terrible actor. Oh, (laughs) that's a shame. And then who else is? uh, Michelle Rodriguez? Ugh, I hate her. Why do we hate her? Well, first of all, she's like super fucking racist and a bad person and um really homophobic and not great but also uh she's again can't act at all she can smirk that's the one expression that she can make so anytime she has to smirk she's totally got that down anytime she has to show any actual emotion or anything it's bad news bears oh i think she was an avatar and she smirked a lot and i think that was like the only thing she did throughout the movie because i'm trying to remember scenes that she was in but they were all smirking scenes of that was just her character smirking yeah that's that's what she can do hmm. 
Well, I'm I'm excited for you to get more into the movies of, you know, that ever-growing cast of the Fast and the Furious because, uh, oh, but also a theme of that movie is family. Have you felt that? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. That's precious. Ah, well, I'm glad that you found a new hobby. I mean, look, I'm not doing anything else, so I got nothing, literally nothing better to do. Yeah. Well, good for you. I mean, you're you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. You know, you're watching Fast and Furious. You know, you're you're staying inside quarantine. Like you're you're being good. Yeah, fucking sucks. Um. So we don't really have a lot of Star Wars news this week, but um, shocking. It was. Yeah, I know. It was dropped recently that uh, Disney Plus is going to have a new show called Disney Gallery The Mandalorian. And it is a eight episode behind the scenes look at The Mandalorian. And it's coming out on May the 4th. And I'm very excited for this. Yeah. I think it'll be cool. Yeah. I personally love a good documentary. Like that was kind of my thing, you know, going into Disney Plus, you know, that, you know, I wanted more documentaries like uh, the Disney Parks one was so good. And they have one about animation in like the late 70s. I think it was the late 70s through 90s. And that one was really interesting, too, just about how. You know, it all centers around, like, Michael Eisner. Like, Michael Eisner did a lot of uh, surprising things, like, for the Walt Disney Company. And a lot of those things kind of uh, affected the animators and animated movies for a long time. So, it just it's interesting hearing it from the perspective of those creators and those writers. So, that's an interesting one. Um I forget what it's called, but I'll leave it in the show notes. Um, I, what are you going to say? Do we know, is this, is this like going through episode by episode? Or is it going to be a, we're doing one episode on the music and here's an episode on visual effects and here's an episode on costuming? Um... I mean, they say that topics this season include film filmmaking process, a legacy of George Lucas's Star Wars, how the cast brought the characters to life, the series' groundbreaking technology, the artistry behind the show's practical models, effects, and creatures, plus the creative influences, the iconic score, and the connections to Star Wars characters and props across the galaxy. Okay. So I I assume it's going to be like, you know, possibly like the Empire of Dreams like documentary about like the original trilogy where just they kind of just go over everything. And like they do kind of episode through episode, but they talk about, you know, why they did this, why they did that. You know, they have, you know, some of the cast come in and talk and you have Fabro come and talk. And I don't know. I love that. Like I love learning more about a really good show and then also like we'll find out more about like the creation of baby yoda like maybe we'll be able to walk into a room and see like fifty thousand baby yoda puppets you know i don't know if i want any behind the scenes on baby yoda will that ruin it for you it might it's hard. like sometimes it works that way with me and sometimes it doesn't and it's you can't ever tell beforehand so it's always hard to know whether to watch that or not. Because on the one hand, you can go, hey, look how cool all this work that went into it is and all this intricacies. And that can be really interesting. But yeah, it can also it can also ruin it a bit. Hmm. But I don't know, because sometimes it doesn't. Like with all the um, Jim Henson stuff, I've seen, you know, I've seen tons of behind the scenes stuff on 
Henson and Sesame Street and The Muppet Show, and I'm always just fascinated by it, and it doesn't ruin the magic at all, and Kermit the Frog is still a person, even when I see pictures of Jim Henson, you know, wearing him. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, I, I feel like it's hard not to think of Kermit the Frog as a person. Well, that's because he's a person. I mean, he's a frog, but he's a person. And that's just, I mean, that's probably just because Jim Henson was a magical genius, but. Yeah, he was. But yeah, May the 4th is coming up and I cannot wait to be able to talk about some more Star Wars on the podcast. So as the Clone Wars finishes, this documentary rises. Is this going to be a weekly show or is it all going up at once on the 4th? It's weekly. Okay. I believe. I believe it is. Um, let me see. Uh, Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, will premiere on Monday, May the 4th, with new episodes every Friday on Disney+. Plus. Cool. Yeah. All right. Emily. Yes, Brittany. Did you watch Clone Wars? I did. What'd you think? I mean, I thought it was better than anything else this season. Oh, that's good. Like, I enjoyed it. I don't... I, at a fundamental level, and I don't say this with any malice or anything it generally just is just a statement of fact i i i can't understand the level of excitement i've seen with some of these people where it's this is the best thing that star wars has ever done i mean i thought it was a good episode of the clone wars and that's sort of as far as it goes for me yeah, I mean, I feel like there has been a lot of thought to the Siege of Mandalore. And, you know, we've all thought in our heads for years how this is going to go. And it was mentioned a little bit in the Ahsoka novel, I believe. I didn't read it, but I just know that this is such like a hyped up event. And I feel like Lucasfilm definitely delivered this episode, you know, from... You know, the beginning with the original Lucasfilm uh, logo and you hear, you know, the Star Wars theme. Like, I definitely think that either they got the rights to actual, like, licensed Star Wars music this episode or they just, you know, went balls to the wall. Because you heard a lot of, you heard Yoda's theme, you heard the Return of the Jedi theme. You hear a lot of nostalgic music, and I feel like that really adds to, you know, what's going on. And I, Okay, but here's my question on that. Mm-hmm. Because I, 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 I agree that it's, it's cool and this big nostalgic hit to see that Lucasfilm Limited logo come up and the old music cues. But h- how does that fit in to this story? I mean, I think it fits in because of, you know, this, how big of a battle this is and how hyped up this is and that this is going to be, you know, the last arc that we see from the Clone Wars. And it's such a pivotal moment for um, the war and everything. And yeah, but just- like, why does why does 70 Star Wars, which had nothing to do with this? Where this story wasn't even, didn't even exist. None of these characters exist. None of them, I mean, the Clone Wars didn't exist. Like, I could see if you're telling, if you're telling a new story with, with Luke or something to use that old stuff. But here, it, it doesn't, I don't know. It just, there's, there's no connection there for me. 
story-wise. I mean, I, like, yeah. yeah, there's a big war, so why why not do that, uh, like, on the fucking new movie or something where there is a big war? That's what these movies are. I guess they were trying to make this episode of The Clone Wars and feel like a movie. I feel like they're trying to make these four episodes because I'm seeing a lot of pensions to, you know, get this, uh, the whole arc in the movie theater. And that would be, that would be interesting. Um, I think definitely like adding the music to um, that scene with Anakin, the uh, Return of the Jedi theme. And I, I think that, Anakin doing that it was supposed to, you know, feel like a Luke moment and be like, oh, yeah, they're totally related. And it's like I felt that. And I feel like definitely hearing the theme and, you know, seeing these characters like I don't know, like I feel it. And I'm easily biased with Star Wars, you know, because these last couple episodes have been like really not good. And to finally like feel something like I was happily surprised when I started watching the episode and heard the original theme and saw the original Lucasfilm logo. Like I was immediately hooked. Like I could tell that this is going to be a love letter to the Clone Wars. And so far, I I think it is, you know, with everything from Mandalore we're getting like and it connecting to Revenge of the Sith, I feel like is important too, because that's something that we've never seen from the Clone Wars before. And it's something that I'm really interested to see, like how deep they get into that. And, you know, I still have a lot of questions, you know, like how does Ahsoka and Rex escape Order 66? You know, does she have any idea that Anakin is behind all of this? You know, how is it going to end? And it's like, I still have all these questions, but I'm just, I'm very entertained with what's going on. I mean, there is some stuff here that I thought was was nicely done. Um, I like when Anakin takes Ahsoka in to see the troops and they've repainted their armor. Like, I think that's a really cool moment. But, like, I don't know. I, like, it's weird because I get that nostalgic hit when I see that logo come up at the front. But then when I, like, take a step back from it all, I'm like, okay, but what is what is that actually saying at all besides, hey, here's this thing you remember? And and maybe maybe that's me being too cynical. But I don't know. Yeah, no, it, it's okay. I mean, I, I definitely know that you don't connect with the Clone Wars. And it's very strange, like, seeing everyone just go crazy over, you know, just, like, the little things in this episode. And, you know, it, it's okay. And, like, don't get me wrong. Again, like, I think it's a well-done episode. And I yeah. get, like, feeling emotional for these characters and stuff. But I was just sort of, I think, uh, some of the... Some of the reactions seemed, like, a lot. Like even if you think it's the, like the best episode of the Clone Wars or something, this this is the you know the greatest story that Star Wars has ever told. Seems bizarre to me. People have been saying that. <laughs> That's what Twitter is. Oh, I I definitely don't agree with that. I mean, I feel like the Clone Wars is like a different bracket of Star Wars. Um, I mean, I. When I rank, well, I don't even rank the Star Wars movies. The Clone Wars isn't in there. Like, the Clone Wars is a completely different thing. Like, I would never compare an episode of the Clone Wars to one of the movies. Like, that's that's not right for me. That's not fair. You know? So, yeah. I mean, for, yeah, it's like, uh, I, I'm, okay, so right now I'm watching Melrose Place. And I'm mm-hmm. four seasons in. And. It doesn't matter how much I like a particular episode of Melrose Place or how like good that episode of Melrose Place is. It doesn't even compare to, you know, the absolute dirt worst episode of The Sopranos. Like the the ranking is completely different. This could be like, oh, this is the best episode Melrose Place has ever done, and I really enjoyed it, and it's awesome. But it, it's just in a completely d- different league. Yeah, I I agree. Like, 
it's nice like seeing all of you know the positivity of like the clone wars and everything because i mean i feel like i've been seeing it not so much with these past couple arcs i mean surprisingly a lot of people liked you know the last arc and the arc before that which you know just they weren't i don't know like i just i don't feel like that was the clone wars i don't feel like that was a love project and I feel like this definitely is like this is something that has been hyped for so long and it's that too and definitely I think that we've been like deprived first from Star Wars for so long I mean we just had the rise of Skywalker but that feels like it was 10 years ago and but (laughs) yeah uh, it really does and like I don't really see a lot of people getting excited over the rise of Skywalker anymore like I was going on the internet to like up Star Wars news before recording and they were like oh the rise of Skywalker is like now streaming or like now on DVD and I'm just like I'm not very interested to you know go back to that because it just it wasn't and I keep saying like love project like I just I don't feel like there was like love put into it and it really shows and I'm really big on that and I feel like this is a love project right now that I'm watching and I'm so excited that it's finally here I'm I'm not willing to say that about the rise of Skywalker I, I mean, I think it was, I mean, and, and you know, I fucking hate that movie. And I yeah. think, I think it's, it's hurried and rushed and ill thought out, but I still think it's made by people who love Star Wars. I think it's f- made by people who, who don't write well and made by people who don't know how to tell stories, but I still think it's people who believed in what they were doing. Yeah, and I I definitely believe, too, that, you know, effort was put into this. But, God, you know, I've been seeing all of this, you know, the the Trevorrow script, the, yeah, the Trevorrow script and everything. And uh, I just, I don't like thinking about that, of, like, what could have been. Because these characters' story arcs, to me, still aren't finished. And that's something that, you know, I have to not think about. because. Eh, it just is not good. But it's okay. But I don't know. I really liked a lot about this episode. I fucking love Bo Katan. Bo Katan is awesome. Like her and Obi Wan arguing, you know, about you know, doing the siege of Mandalore and you know, her talking about, you know, did you even care for my sister? And uh, just the dialogue just seemed, like, very, very good. And I was thinking about how, you know, like, connecting it to the movies, you know? Like, thinking about, you know, how Revenge of the Sith is happening and literally, like, the stuff was happening, like, moments before. And it's like, I I know that the Clone Wars didn't exist, you know, 10 years, 10, 15 years ago when Revenge of the Sith came out, but it gives me like a new outlook on that movie, knowing that, you know, all of this stuff was occurring to these characters like right before the events of Revenge of the Sith. So that's interesting to me. Yeah, and maybe, I mean, maybe that is part of the reason this doesn't hit me at all. Yeah. It's because I don't, I don't have any connections to those movies. They, they, even even the scenes I like in them, like those movies, just leave me utterly cold. So, you know, Clone Wars, Clone Wars has a real strong disadvantage there. Working against it is they can't just rely on those connections to make it to make me compelled by it at all. And yeah, like I thought that like I really I really did enjoy this episode. I didn't get bored or super annoyed halfway through like I have every other episode this season. And I think the battle scenes were pretty good. Could have used with slightly less jetpacks, but whatever. I am more okay with it in animation than I am in live action. 
Yeah. I was worried about that. I was I was definitely thinking of you while watching, you know, some of these scenes, especially when Ahsoka is jumping and uh from ship to ship. Yeah, and, I don't I don't enjoy that. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I feel like Ahsoka was definitely stronger in this episode. Like I feel like the person that we saw this last arc and this Ahsoka are like two completely different people. You know, especially her singing Anakin for the first time and being like, you know, we'll we'll talk later. Like that we need to focus on this right now. Like I feel like if this occurred the last arc, she'd be like, Oh, Anakin, how are you? What's up? You know, I just I, I don't feel like Maybe a lot of time like went past. It couldn't past. have been that much time though, because Bo-Katan went and picked her up. I guess I just I just don't understand why she was so different that last arc. And you know they they try, but the idea that the the Rafa and Trace being like, hey, you should go be a good Jedi and you know be a good example. Like the fact that that is all that she needs to make this big transition there to be, you know, be like what she says when she goes back and sees Anakin again. And I'm like, maybe if that arc had been well-written, then that trend, then you can see that like actually having an impact and changing where she is, but that arc was really badly written. And so it just, it does seem like a big leap. That arc was that, that was just so bullshit. Them being like, "Yeah, the Jedi suck," but you are what we feel is a Jedi. You're everything a Jedi should be. Like, no, you should be angry that someone you thought was your friend lied to you, knowing that the Jedi have done awful people to your family. Like, it just doesn't add up. And they were, Rafa was. Or the older sister was terrible. Like she was very selfish and used her sister to get that chip. And in the very end, it's like they're hugging and it's like, oh yeah, we get along. Like, no, that's not a good sister relationship to portray. Well, I don't think everything has to be a golden shine. I'm okay with there being shitty characters. I just want them to be well written shitty characters. And if you're gonna have them like be good at the end, then you need to actually show that transformation but well it was interesting um just like the little things in this episode like how Anakin gave part of the 501st to Ahsoka because you know we know that the other part of the 501st went to Anakin um, when he went to Coruscant for Order 66. And it just like the little things. Like, um, I think uh, it, it was one of the scenes when Ahsoka was like jumping ship to ship. And Bo-Katan was like, oh, I'm going to contact Ursa, one of the Mandalorians. I was thinking, isn't that Sabine's mom? I looked it up and I was right. I was so proud of myself, even though I know that Rebels doesn't really mean as much to me. But... It just, it's the, the, like the little connections. Like I, I'm interested to see if we actually get to see Ursa Ren, but I don't know. I just, uh, I love everything about this arc so far. Like I just, I'm so interested in the Siege of Mandalore and Maul actually seems kind of scary right now. So I'm interested to see what happens to him and Ahsoka and how their fight goes. I'm interested to see their fight because they brought in, um, God, what's his name? I forget his name. The original Darth Maul to motion cap the fight. Ray Park. Ray Park. So I'm going to be watching those steps. I don't know. It just seems like they put like so much effort into this arc. And I'm just, I'm excited to see it. It's like an art project, you know? I am wary of it being three more episodes like if I knew there was like one more episode even two more episodes I'd be like okay I'm totally down for this when there's three more I'm like oh it's just gonna be a lot of shooting at things I mean and maybe not like maybe we'll get some cool politics and shit but I'm concerned Yeah, 
Well, I think that definitely there's going to be like one episode that's going to be like, ah, you know, this is fine. Like it's not as good as, you know, the others, but I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm optimistic though. Cautiously optimistic because I went into this arc just not expecting anything. Even after, you know, I woke up on Friday morning and Rusty was like, hey, the Clone Wars is good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Because after that last arc, I was not positive about the Clone Wars. But I don't know. I'm, I'm back on the train and we'll see where it goes. I'm just, I'm happy that you didn't hate it. No, I didn't hate it at all. So, Brittany, mm-hmm. you watched Deadwood. I did. I, I watched the first episode of Deadwood titled Deadwood. And I uh, like I started watching it. And I'm like, yeah, okay. But then I got to the end of the episode and I'm like, whoa, I'm in it. Even though like I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. That's fine. Oh, I have, I have, I have many, many, many Deadwood answers. I have... Okay, <laughs> this sounds a little bit weird considering that we we do a Star Wars podcast, but Deadwood is maybe my Star Wars in terms of like you know, like and we've talked about this before. I sort of like the people who who love everything about Star Wars, no matter what, they just always love Star- even like even the worst Star Wars like they love more than anything else. And how I don't understand that, but that is how I am with Deadwood. Deadwood, Deadwood can do absolutely no wrong in my eyes. It is my favorite thing of all time. Why is it your favorite thing of all time? Oh, God, I don't. It's strange because I, although I've enjoyed like Tombstone and, you know, like High Noon and a couple other Westerns here and there, I'm not particularly into western shit but i think because this went so and this is a term i normally use derisively but like dark and gritty but i love how i love how dirty deadwood is and not not like sexually dirty like it's like it's like filthy like it's just everything is muddy and brown and and like wet and gross all the time and i like how how lived in and detailed every part of that is and it, i find pretty much every single character on the show utterly fascinating there is with with very few exceptions there's there's no character where you don't you don't get depth and you don't get sudden explanations for their behavior that while not you know while not justifying or or forgiving like horrible things they've done puts a whole new spin on on the whys of it and makes the makes their motivations and their actions seem real and you get dialogue that is is sometimes seems like utterly realistic but then we'll go off into these long shakespearean monologues and asides and every actor on the show is perfectly cast and you get the 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 interplays of the relationships of all these characters is something that this show does better than than anything I've ever seen. And I will say to you, because you've seen the first episode now, um, Al Swearingen, who is the guy who runs the Gem Saloon, our main main sort of antagonist for now. Um, Trixie, who is the woman who shoots the guy, who Mm -hmm. he then beats the shit out of. Their relationship becomes one of the most compelling and just complicated and beautiful things I've ever seen on TV. Really? 
Yes. And it'll be without spoiling it in a couple, because this is, this is really minor and you'll get to it. Um, in episode three, there is another saloon owner who comes in and he becomes sort of a rival and he has a relationship with one of his um, workers, um, Joni. And the contrast between Al and Trixie and how they, however horrible Al is in this episode, and he's quite horrible in it, but the contrast between how Al treats and interacts and cares about Trixie and how Cy interacts with and views and and his possessiveness of Joni is like you could write I could write a hundred theses about it like it's so it's so well done and never never overtly compared and never like of like outright spoken about but is like one of the biggest dichotomies on the show But anyway, what did you what did you think? Ask me questions. Let me like talk about the show because I otherwise I'll just talk about how awesome it is forever. I mean, I'm definitely intrigued now after you know hearing this uh, you know conversation, especially about Trixie and Al. I mean, definitely seeing Al like I, I knew that he was the bad, but it's like I I know that there's going to be someone like worse than Al. Like Al's fucking scary. Oh like, yeah, he like when he beat the shit out of Trixie and was like stepping on her neck. I thought that that was the end of Trixie. And then, so, the end of the episode, you know, she goes in his room, and then she hands him, like, the little gun thing. Like, was she supposed to kill him? Was that what? Because someone gave that to her. Like, what was supposed to happen? I think she originally, like, she originally bought the gun thinking she might kill him. Okay. And then she gave the gun to him, got in bed, and I think that was her calling it truce, right? Yeah. interesting because i just seeing his face after that that's when i was just thinking like what is this like obviously she means something to him or yeah but he and and i mean ian mcshane is awesome but he does the the cold dead stare like nobody i've ever seen yeah He, he he's scary um okay so when they were getting the deal, they were getting a deal for something. And it was the, the guy with the mustache who has the wife. And then the wife was like mixing something in her drink and drinking it. Um, okay. So that is Brom Garrett and his wife, Alma. And Alma is the, what she's taking is laudanum, which is, I mean, and it's basically a mixture with opium in it. And it was widely used as a painkiller and cough suppressant. And, I mean, one of those things that gave basically gave for everything. And I think you could, at a lot of points in history, you could just like get over the counter, but it's, I mean, it's, it's opium and, and like insanely addictive. So is she just like addicted? Like, is she yeah, not yeah. happy in her marriage? Like yes, that's also that. <laughs> oh God. Okay, and then, so, we start off this episode with my boy Seth, and I I knew from the beginning that I like Seth. I don't know why. Maybe it's his mustache, or maybe it's, I, I don't know, but I like Seth. Yeah, you start with Seth Bullock and his partner, Soul Star, who, yes, who are going to Deadwood to open a hardware store. What a change of careers. Yeah, from from lawman to store owner, yes. Um okay, one thing to keep in mind most of these characters have real life counterparts. There, there was a real Seth Bullock. There was a real Saul Star. There was a real Al Swearingen. Um, their, their fates and their stories obviously like are very, very fictionalized here. 
Um, I mean, basically the thing about Al Swearingen is the real Al Swearingen was a guy who owned the gem saloon in Deadwood and was involved in a lot of uh, criminal activities. But that's, I mean, that's where the reality ends in terms of the comparison to that. Um, Probably Wild Bill is the one that stuck the closest to reality. And that could just be because Wild Bill Hickok is a is somebody who, you know, viewers would actually know at least a little bit about. As a sort of like famous, you know, old West persona. Yeah, I like him. Like his long hair. He just has this like. This aura to him, just that he just seems like such a cool, badass guy. Yeah, and and he is, and Keith Carradine's great um, in that role. And then you have his companions, um, Charlie Utter and Jane, who is who is Calamity Jane, was you know another well-known mythologized figure whose whose story is like a very different thing here, but she's also amazing. Yeah. Go, go, go. So, what else did you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I thought it was interesting. It, de- it definitely was a little difficult in the beginning to, because like, I, I didn't know what the fuck was going on. You know, they're introducing these characters and just it definitely, you know, different era, different, you know, it's like I'm trying to grasp what's going on, you know, definitely like the accents and just it was a lot of thought and it's like I now I'm able to put everything together because I, I watched this last night like an hour or two before going to sleep but I'm just trying to figure out you know just like what like the big plot is like I, I know that you know they were investigating a murder that they think that the Native Americans did but I think they got down to that it wasn't the Native Americans and it was you know the guy that led them there he kind of wussed out from the group that did it and was like, oh, hey, this happened. Yeah. Um, and that'll, that'll come up again in episode two. That's the main driving force there. Um, one of the big conflicts on the show is, is really Deadwood itself. Because... Deadwood's legality is um, questionable because it is they're not they're not a state yet they're still in the territory and sort of like what's going to happen to the settlement as more westward expansion happens and as we get the creation of more states and the government tries to come in. Because right now, I mean, one of the reasons Al can get away with all the, the shit that he can do is because, I mean, who is there to to answer to? Yeah, they kind of just rule themselves. Yeah, because they're they're technically on as as they say in the show. You know, it starts off one of the things when when Seth is talking to the guy who is watching him in jail. You know, there's the line, you know, no law at all in Deadwood, and and Seth's why is being on Indian land. So, and that's another question, because, you know, is that going to be, like, a big plot that, you know, they're on Indian land and that they're going to, because that is a little interesting to me. There, and that's one thing, like, there is in terms of, I mean, all the stuff that we see from that is from the the side of of the American government there's mm-hmm. never there's we don't we see a couple of native americans in an episode but they're never like it's it's not something where it's like cowboy and indian battles you know okay good 
Yeah, I, I was a little worried about that, you know, seeing, you know, about, you know, how they're investigating a murder and they think that the Native Americans did it and was like, oh, no, like, I hope this doesn't go down this route. But OK, yeah, because that's a little bit of a, a touchy subject. So I just was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but you do see. um Deadwood has a, I guess, relatively sizable Chinatown part of it. And that will also become like one of the big sort of touch points on the conflict of the show. Okay, yeah, I I noticed that a little bit. So I'm trying to think of like more questions that I have. Um, so that little girl, I assume that she survives or survived. I don't know. You'll have to see. I'm, I'm interested to see if she becomes like a big part of the story or is, is just like, oh, okay, good. She's alive. All right. Now to the next problem. Like I'm interested to see if, you know, it's like, game of thrones where you know that first episode you know that big thing happens and just you know it kind of had it kind of plays out the rest of the season so i'm just i'm interested to get to know the characters more i like the relationship so far between wild bill and seth you know because they're kind of bonding over how they were marshals in different states and i don't know i would love to see them work together like i kind of got that like buddy cop feel you will see more of them together i'll tell you that much okay good I, I, I like I, them yeah they they have a really kind of sweet friendship okay good yeah good because I, I i think i would i, I think i'm gonna like these characters i'm, I'm interested more with what Al is doing because okay so he was making a deal with mustache guy on something doing with gold right okay so what was happening here is well what what Brom Garrett thinks is happening here is he is buying a gold claim from Tom Nuttle and Al is just sort of the one who brokered the deal. What's what's actually happened here as you as you as you find out in this episode when he's when Al gets really pissed at, at Tom about it is Al set the whole thing up from the beginning and was was taking a percentage of the sale. Yeah, I mean, they killed him in the end, right? So it doesn't even, like, they... Yeah, and the, the reason... Because Al is... Al is, Al is obviously a criminal and not a good dude. But, you know, you see him getting mad. Like, who, you know, who the, who the hell told you to, to go all the way up to 20 is Al thinks long-term. And he's one of the only of these dudes that does. That's why Al's so successful. And, you, um, you know, this, this is a claim that obviously, you know, if, you, if you're selling a gold claim, you, you probably don't have a lot of faith in its potential. But, you know, there's, there's what somebody will do if you rip them off of 13 grand versus what they'll do when you rip them off of all the money they have is a very different thing. And so that's something Al was being careful about. And then Tom and E.B., fucked up for him yeah oh i think i said tom not all earlier it's tom Dris- it's it's tim Dis- driscoll driscoll tom that's what it is yeah tom not is the guy who runs the bar where wild bill plays yeah driscoll doesn't seem very smart <laughs> is that well, a- well yeah no i mean I think doing the thing like I would I would say in general do what Al tells you to do 
before. I mean, not only because Al is probably smarter than you, but also because he'll kill you if you don't. As as you see yeah. in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you would have met Dan Doherty, who is the dark-haired guy who works for Al. The one who he, he tells to kill Tim. The one with the knife in his mouth? Yes. Okay. And um, Johnny is the curly-haired dude who works for him, who is... Very dumb, and we will come to find out. Like, very sweet. Okay, yeah, because he was the one that Owl punched in the face, right? Yes. Okay. Okay, I, I feel a little better about myself now, like, with this. Because after watching, I was just like, I have so many questions. But now I'm, I'm slowly getting everything. And I'm slowly I, i'm interested to see like what kind of show this turns out to be because it's like i still don't know you know and investigating murders and yada 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 and then there's al being bad like i'm I'm just I'm, I'm intrigued there's gonna be a lot of stuff with al and seth Ooh. okay good they I are the to- yeah they're like the two tent poles of the show Well, yeah, I, I I like it so far. I mean, definitely, I think that I'm going to do one episode a week, if that's okay. I mean, or, I'm if, not, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want me to do more, I'll do more a week. No, no, no. But... Watch, however, like, whatever, watch whatever you feel like. Okay. Yeah. Because how many seasons is it? Three. Oh, wow. And then, and then a movie. And the movie's pretty good? Oh, it's really good. And the movie was, like, just made, right? Yeah, last year. Shit. Okay, good. Well, I have something to look forward to. You're watching Melrose Place. I'm watching Deadwood. It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, anything else? Uh, you want to add to the episode? I don't think so. Okay. Sweet. Um, where can we find you and the podcast on social media? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at EFLind, and you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CantoBitePod. Awesome. And you can find me on Instagram as Brittany the Ginger. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast. I hope you have a good day. Have a good week. Hope you enjoy listening. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Here we go. Yo, 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 and away we go. It's time to serenade my girl Lindo. Sorry, the ladies, where I had to say no, but if I'm cheating on Serena, it's on Canto. No shame in the game, make even Rogue One seem tame. But I blame it on Brit with a ginger main main. Yeah, that's fire. Love on the rocks, leaves the love on my socks. Lindo fanfic leaves y'all shocked, especially when y'all truly whips out his cock. Canto bite. Episode 100 Hey yo, I'm back, no fulcrum this time I'm on a flight to the bay and I'm writing some rhymes My top three running through my head, you know So I had to come correct when they hit the hundo My girls E&B deserve congratulations Our adulation for the weekly creation My last celebration was all about them But this time I gotta drop lines for our friends This is for the bitches, strictly for the bitches Give
give it up for the bitches, all the Canto bitches. This one's for my bitches, only for the bitches. Throw your hands up, bitches, all my Canto bitches. Start off with my Aussies, Catherine's a sweet one. Brought cash into lunch with Canto bitch number one. Josh made it a team and had bourbon and cornflakes. The kind of ice cream that made him show me his old face. Got to meet Turbo and throw back some brew. Fish tacos and San Fran, you know we approve. Rebecca from Perth, I haven't met you yet. Last shout to Fruity dude, I didn't forget. This is for the bitches, strictly for the bitches Give it up for the bitches, all the Canto bitches This one's for my bitches, only for the bitches Throw your hands up bitches, all my Canto bitches Rabia and Adele often email the show I cut a track on them trolls with Johnny Grosso Jesse McGee busted a rap for me Met her and Horse B at Scum and Villainy King Tom, Death Watch, the most regal of fathers Got to behold the luscious locks of Strata Shouted Rusty last time, so I shout a Raj too You know the list ain't complete without lesson, boo this is for the bitches, strictly for the bitches Give it up for the bitches, all the Canto bitches This one's for my bitches, only for the bitches Throw your hands up bitches, all my Canto bitches Now if I didn't say your name, don't feel no shame You love the fun, the games, and refresher bangs Hang on every word of Lindo's fanfic Where she describes every vein in Mendo's dick Spread the word, maybe buy a t-shirt I don't know, maybe ask the girls if Yaddle squirts Take your CBD, send in your top three, And you'll always be a bitch like me Get him, Eric.